0: Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Sometimes out of the blue, our faith will be tested. While this may surprise you, it is often a test that we've lived through before. We are in a series called Venturing into the Unknown, and in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham faces a test he has faced some 20 to 30 years before. So this test is not unknown, and although Abraham failed it the first time, by now, we would hope he would pass it, but he doesn't. This goes to show us that if the heroes of the faith can't live life on autopilot, neither can we. Abraham has a valuable lesson to teach us in part one of Pastor Jim's message, When Our Faith Goes Backwards. Well, if you have been at
1: this uh, Christian life thing for for any Number of years, if you haven't, that's okay. Uh, you sometimes get to a place where you think that you're doing pretty well with your faith, and then life or God—I guess it depends upon your theology—throws uh, a simple, basic faith test at you. Just seems to come out of nowhere. Uh, it could be in the form of doubt. Could be in the form of pressure could be in the form of fear, could be in the form of a number of different things. And it was a moment when we needed our faith, and our faith didn't even show up. I mean, it was nowhere to be found. And, and to make matters worse, a lot of times it's something that you have failed at uh, in the past, maybe even many times, and you swore you'd never do it again, or... Maybe even worse, it's something that disappeared for years and then it came back and it reared its ugly head. Uh, Some of you know that I grew up across the street from a horse farm, and uh, there was a young boy across the street from me. He was my brother's age, so he's five years younger than me, and he uh, was a winner in Berlin in the late 1980s of the World Cup. He's a very well-known polo player. In fact, if you go down to Florida, people who know who he is, and uh, uh, his dad uh, taught me how to ride a horse, obviously taught him how to ride a horse, and I remember one time when I fell, And it was quite a fall, they call them polo ponies, but they're pretty big. And I landed right on my uh, rear end, my derriere, which uh, wasn't so padded when I was a little kid. And I didn't want to get back on. And you know what he said to me? I'll never forget it. He said, the best riders have fallen the most. It was really a great lesson for me. And maybe that's the message you need to hear today that some of the best people in the Christian life have fallen the most. And that's what's actually positioned them for greatness. And so the title of our message is today is When Our Faith Goes Backwards. When Our Faith Goes Backwards, part of our series, Venturing Into the Unknown. Well, this week we leave Lot, who we left him in, in Sodom last week, and his huge faith failure in chapter 19 and we come back to God's friend, Abraham. About 2,000 years ago, a lot of people want to debate about when Abraham lived. I don't really get so much into the, the date debates. I always kind of feel like, well, you know, Jesus told us he was going to die. He rose from the dead. He believed in Abraham. I do too. I don't need to know exactly, exactly when he lived. So chapter 20, verse 1 and 2 says, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now notice verse 2, now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, uh, probably a title, not a, not a guy's name, king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. Another version says brought, him, uh, brought her to him. Now some of you are saying, excuse me, Pastor Jim, we did this story already. You know, you're, you're forgetting, we, we did this already, sort of. That was back in chapter 12, probably 25 or 30 years ago, when Abraham left the promised land to go to Egypt because there was a famine instead of trusting in God. And he said he was afraid because we we were told there that Sarah was beautiful. I'm not saying she's not beautiful anymore, perhaps that Abimelech takes him thinking it's his sister because he wants to do some sort of a political alliance with Abraham, you know, sort of marrying into the family. Now, you know, when he arrived in chapter 12 at, uh, in Egypt, he was afraid that Pharaoh would kill him. So what did he say to his wife way back then? He said something like this. Uh, hey, honey, uh, just say you're my sister, and they won't kill me. But it's been a long time. I mean, you would would think that 25, 30 years, maybe you've grown a little in this. But he kind of does the same thing here. You see, for Abraham, fear led him to failure. Fear led him to not trusting God, who had called him to this wonderful life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's called you to this life and wants you to trust him. That's how you get into this life, by trusting in Jesus. And that is also the way we are to live. Chapter 16 also, we saw Abraham's faith going backwards. God promised him and his wife a baby boy, but they could not uh, conceive. And so Sarah comes up with a brilliant idea. Why don't you sleep with my maid servant, Hagar. And when she has a child, if she has a boy, we can take him as ours. That was a, a tradition they had back then. And so Abraham, instead of going, you know, no, I really can't do that. He didn't say that at all. What did he do? He went and he slept with Hagar and they had a boy. And what was the result? Very predictable, not good. A big fight ensued, another faith failure. So as we venture into the unknown as a, as a world, as a culture, as a society in these days, we, we really don't know uh, what's ahead. It seems like every time you get a little bit of good news, then there comes some bad news, and the question really becomes for us, can God keep his promises without help from us? Or do we kind of have to help God along? Now, I'll resist the chance of saying, how's that going for you, even though I think I just said it. So let's think about, why is Abraham moving this time? We don't know. Last time in chapter 12, it was because of a famine. We're not told, but we're told this, where he moves to. And where he's actually moving to is the edge of the promised land. Let me give you a principle for the people of God. This will eventually become the land of the Philistines. Uh, When you go to the edge, it never really works out to be a good place for the people of God. Do you know any Christians that live their life on the edge? And it's really not going so well for them, is it? And they may not even see it, or you see the path that they're going down, but that is unfortunately where a lot of people end up. So here we have Abraham moving over to this edge. Abimelech lives over there. Uh, Abraham is rich. He's got a lot of people working for him. He's got a lot of flocks and herds. He's a well-known military leader. It's not like he can hide. It's not like he kind of slip in stealth. They're just like, you know that guy Abraham with all that rich over there, over in Canaan? Well, he's coming over, over this way. And if you will, he's a marked man. And, you know, the, the upside and the downside of, of being a follower of Jesus is you are a marked man or a marked woman. It's just like somebody is out to get you. One of the jokes we have... When we ordain a pastor, I remember when I was ordained, they laid hands on me and a group of guys were there. And then afterwards, they all kept saying, turn around, turn around. And finally, I was like, why do they keep telling me to turn around? Everybody, goes, Everybody wants to see how big the bullseye is on your back. <laughs> and so that's sort of the way it is. You know, there's, there's an enemy out to get us, if you will. Now, unlike Lot, remember Lot settled in Sodom, Abraham was... Like even though he lived two thousand years before Jesus, was like all followers of Jesus, he is a nomad. When we studied First Peter, we realized and we studied that we are as Christians, we are pilgrims. What are pilgrims? They are not people who are home. They are people who are on their way home. This place is not our home. This is a temporary, if you will, holding place for us. So we are here as uh, people on a on a mission it's important for us to, to remember, you know, a lot of people, what they do is they're like Lot. We've said this before about the area in which we live. There's a, there's a lot of Christian settlers up here. We don't, we don't want to be settlers. We want to be pilgrims. We don't want to be living like people who are content where we are. We want to be the people who are excited about being on our way home. It's also important for us to remember that a lot of times we think of transitions and Abraham is in a transition right now. A lot of times we think of Abraham, we think of transitions or change as always being good for us. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. A lot of people find that certain changes that they make have the exact opposite effect of what they thought. 've've A lot of my friends who you know used to live in this area and go to this church have have moved away and they've contacted me and said i don't know if it was such a great idea for, for us to to leave uh, in those times, and we 're all in one right now for the past year, those times of transition, we have to be careful because it's very easy to transition to the old ways it's very easy to transition to Old patterns. It's very easy to th- stop thinking and acting biblically. This is one of the reasons why it's really important to sort of maintain a disciplined schedule. And, and, and you know, would you always say, really starts not what time you get up, it starts at what time you go to bed. And so be very much aware of, of these things. And so, why does it happen? Why does it happen that we can act this way so often when things are kind of, seem to be going well? Well, for most people, I don't think it's that we all of a sudden change our theology. Every once in a while, you come across someone who's been in a long kind of slide of, I don't believe in God anymore. But for most people, it seems to me, in their failure, they would say, I still believe, but somehow what happened was my faith failed in everyday life. I didn't, I didn't stop believing in Jesus. I didn't stop believing in the things of the word of God. It's just somehow when push came to shove, I really wasn't, I wasn't up for it. In other words, you might, you might fail, and, but yet inside you still believe Jesus is Savior and Lord. You still believe that Jesus is God, become a man. You still believe God is in control, but the struggle is not in your theology. The struggle is in living out your theology. The struggle is in daily faith, your daily walk with Jesus. Your struggle becomes everyday life, often because you have fallen out of the regular disciplines and routines that you were in before that keep you in the way of Jesus. Maybe there's a reason why God has us come to church once a week to sort of remind us. Maybe there's a reason why the disciples went house to house. We do community groups. So, so people are sort of being tethered, if you will, uh, to the faith, to the, to the word of God. Last week, I probably angered some of you when I, when I said that we have to be very, very careful of this rise of Christian nationalism. Now, you might say, why would you, why would you think like that, Pastor Jim? And a couple of people contacted me and we had some nice dialogues about it. I try to always put myself in the place of someone who doesn't follow Jesus. Again, if that's you, we're glad that you've joined us here today. And I always try to put myself in, in the place of such a person and, and think that the way they do. Now, at this point in time, given the political atmosphere that's out there right now, and this is one thing I just wanna stop and say for a second. I talked for a second ago about me being an ordained pastor as I often say, that that and $5 will get me a really nice drink at Starbucks. So it's not really, I I, I take it seriously, but I don't take myself too seriously about it. But where you work or in your house, if you are the only believer or one of a few believers, do you realize you are the pastor of your workplace? Do you realize you are the pastor of your home? So let's just think about you being the Maybe you're the pastor of the family gathering because you're the only believer there. Make sure you separate the pastoral from the political. Because if you don't, you know how a lot of people who don't follow Jesus think of us right now as just another angry mob with an agenda. That's how a lot of people are starting to see us. We have to be very, very careful to differentiate ourselves from that. Does that mean we're not involved in politics? Of course we're involved in politics. Does that mean we don't vote? Of course we vote. But we have to be very, very careful in the, in the listening to people and the tone in which we speak to people. Why? Because the gospel is more important than politics. Now, if you disagree with me on that, That's fine. You really got to examine yourself to see if you're a Christian. Because the politicians, they keep changing every few years. But the king is on the throne and will continue to remain on the throne. What happens to a lot of people when we act like that, to them, it makes our gospel inconsistent. And that's what's going to happen to Abraham in this passage or it makes our gospel look, if you will, almost non-existent. To a world far from God, our failure to live out the promises of God in love gives them an excuse to invalidate our faith. Now, God's not going to take that, but we have to remember how important that is. (laughs) Remember one of our cross-country trips, we were, were out west and I, it happened several times. We met, we'd meet people and they go, where are you from? And I'd say, we're from New Jersey. And they go, well, oh, come on, come on. i go, no, no, we're not all what you think. <laughs> only about a third of the people there are totally obnoxious. The rest of the people are nice. They're just quiet. <laughs> and it's, it's, the, it's the only obnoxious people that you hear. Now you say, well, okay, wait a minute though, Pastor Jim. What I don't like about this though is what you're saying. The truth of the matter is this there is a double standard. Here's my counsel to you on that. Get used to it. Get very, very used to it. Because it's going to be like that for a long time unless the Lord brings revival. And so be very, very careful. And remember that your whole life, Jesus is teaching you. He's constantly teaching us Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul said this in verse 18 and 19. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, another version says sinful nature, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. The English Standard Version translates that this way, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I want to do good, he says, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, I will not to do, or I don't want to do, that I practice. He says, I keep on doing it. And so the Lord is constantly conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's why we can never come off as better than anybody else. We said in a previous study that Godly people are more aware of their sin than ungodly people. And that is not to, make, to beat you down. That is to make us see how much more we need Jesus, and it is to humble us and teach us to rely on him. So while Abraham is messing up, he's just handed off his wife to Abimelech, God shows up. Look at verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream at night, or by night, and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man. Ooh, <laughs> Another version says, you're about to die because the woman whom you have taken, uh, for she is a man's wife. Just a quick show of hands for those of you here and here at home. If God appeared to you in a dream and told you a dead man, how many of you would find that a little scary? Just, just a, quick, a, quick, a quick show of hands. Um, I, I think I would be sufficiently terrified sufficiently terrified. Even if I had that dream and it wasn't God, it's was just like I ate too much spicy food or something like that. Uh, I, I, would be, I would be absolutely terrified. And because, maybe because I know the Bible, Hebrews ten thirty one says, this is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I don't care whether that's literally, whether that's you sense God's presence or you're dreaming and you wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, Verse four says, but Abimelech had not come near her and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also or an innocent nation also? Maybe he knew what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah and he's like, we're not like those people. We heard what went down over there. We're not like them. Did he not say uh, to me, She is my sister? And she even herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, another version says, With a clear conscience and innocence of my hands, I have done this. So Abimelech has Sarah now. And notice he doesn't question God's morality at all. A lot of people question God's morality. He doesn't question God's morality, he just says, I'm innocent. I didn't, I did take her. I thought it was the guy's sister, but nothing happened. I'm telling you, nothing happened. I didn't commit adultery. Now, this is an interesting thing. And I know it's a hurtful thing for people. So I don't, I don't mean to, you know, make light of it. But, but deep down, most people, believer or unbeliever, knows that adultery is wrong. You say, can you prove that? I, I do have a little bit of a proof in it. I, you know, most of you know, I've been a youth leader for many, many years, much longer than any of the kids that I have ever, ever have in youth group have been alive now, and all of a sudden you'll you'll see some girl and she's like this, and I'm like, what's the matter? And she'll be like, I'm mad, and I'm like, what happened? She goes, Well, my boyfriend. I'm like, Oh, you have a boyfriend? This is great. My boyfriend <laughs> cheated on me. And I'm like, what did he do? He held another girl's hand. (laughs) So even middle school kids know that that's wrong. Even they know it's wrong. So Abimelech admits his guilt that he took her, but he says he had no idea that it was a man's wife. But notice this. He knows God is just. He appeals to the justice of God. It's almost like he read chapter 18. And so he asked God, will you judge the people because of me? God, you're going to kill me. But you know the ramifications that's going to have on people. And in a sense, that's the gospel. You see, all of our sins were placed upon Jesus. So all who would turn to him and put their trust in him, Jesus would be judged as if he had lived our life. And yet, because we get his righteousness, we are judged as if we have lived his life, his perfect life. Something else here, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to tell you this like Abimelech, God wants to speak to you. God wants to reveal himself to you. Whenever I'm getting a message ready or, or before I come out here, I always say, God, I know that I'm just going to just go on and on and on and talking to people. And to some people, it's going to be like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 but, Lord, I really want you to talk to people. So, so if you're a follow, not a follower of Jesus, could God speak to you? Well, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, after Jesus ascended into heaven, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world, some of your verses say universe, And so what happens? God wants to meet you today, my not yet believing friend. And he calls you to come to the foot of the cross and to meet him. Because he not only died there, but he rose from the dead. Let's go to verse six here. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you or kept you from sinning against against me, That's very important, sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, and the idea is as soon as possible, restore the man's wife for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Now, this verse is incredibly interesting. In this verse, he says, God says to Abimelech, You took her to be part of your harem, and my restraining hand kept you from sinning
0: against me. Take what you've just heard from Pastor Jim Kevney on Changed by Love and share it with a friend or neighbor. Encouraging words are priceless in today's world. Pastor Jim relies on your prayer and support each day to reach thousands of people just like you. You can also find other ways to team with Changed by Love on our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you can call 862-217-9686. We are called by His name to change the world, and we are stronger together than we could ever be apart. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Thank you for your support and the time you spend with Changed by Love.